Well, um, as we mentioned uh, earlier, we're in week two of our missions week. I'm glad we picked July as our missions month because we get five Sundays out of that, not just uh, four. Uh, And we began last week uh, just taking the opportunity to remind us all that we are all missionaries. Uh, We don't have to be like Peffin and Janet uh, heading to the Philippines or the McDowell's down to Paraguay or the Luxfords to the Nuba in South Sudan, uh, wherever you are, you are a missionary. Uh, and, and that's really one of the big highlights of our missions month. Uh, and, and that was very helpful, as um, I mentioned earlier, and even Albert Prey, uh, in highlighting yesterday with Nathan coming over and, and reminding us that, but also giving us a bit of a help in how to evangelize, how to be a, a missionary, um, and uh, without giving you everything he said yesterday. Uh, we'll get him back uh, to give that, that talk. But it's basically looking at Jesus and uh, how he, in his evangelism, uh, asked questions. I don't know if you've ever picked that up. Uh, when everybody asked him a question, he turned around and asked a question back. Good teacher, how, must, uh, how, how can I inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Um, just he turns it around just to pull out um, exactly... Uh, what the issue is. And so that was very helpful yesterday. Uh, And so for my part, I want to help you as well. And there's so much we could say, uh, but we began a discussion last week called Evangelism and the Believer. And there were mainly three points that we were uh, walking through. And I'll just go ahead and give those to you up front. And and then we'll pick back up where we left off and do a quick review and then move forward. But we're looking at the believer's call to evangelism. That's why I kind of read you Ezekiel's call, so you get a bit of a window there. So the believer's call to evangelism. And secondly, the believer's core of evangelism, or the believer's content. Uh, what is what we say? What is the message of evangelism? And then thirdly, the believer's conduct. That's equally uh, as important as the call. And the content is your conduct, the believer's conduct of evangelism. So by way of reminder, and just jumping right back into it, the, the call of evangelism, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and here, let's look at Paul's commentary on his call. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and just dropping in in verse 16, he, he makes a, 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 a simple yet very strong statement. And, and you can see it. He says this, and this is the Christian Standard Bible translation. He says, for I preach the gospel. I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So in that statement is a call, a commission, but also a compulsion. Uh, The New Living Translation, as you know, I like checking that every once in a while. And this is How they put it, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but they put it this way. Uh, Paul says, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. And then he says this, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. I love that last line. Uh, And that should affect all of us. How terrible for me if I did not preach the good news. News And as I said, not only here do we see the divine command, but also the divine compulsion that was laid upon the Apostle Paul. He actually calls it an obligation, uh, literally a, a necessity. In other words, he says, I have to preach. I have to preach. And I couldn't help but thinking that that's, that's 
with every true preacher, that's, that's the, the same compulsion. That's the same necessity, obligation that's laid upon their back. I'm thinking of the Old Testament at this point. You remember Jeremiah said that God's word was like a fire in his heart and his bones, and he, he had to speak. Uh, the prophet Amos also writes that because God has spoken, he too must speak. And then we read earlier about Ezekiel. He said, I, I, well, God told him, you go. You go and speak whether they listen or not. That's true of all of God's preachers, all of God's true preachers. Uh, they were all men who were overcome with urgency and constraint. They, they understood that they had a job to do. And so for Paul here, he, he understood that this was not just a vocation. This isn't just getting a payslip at the end of the week. This was a ministry. This was a commission. He was divinely appointed to preach. And because it was a divine appointment to preach, that's why he says, there's nothing to boast about here. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Simply, his commission from the Lord compelled him to preach. And then you notice he even adds here at the end, woe to me if I do not pre preach the gospel. Uwai. That's what he says. That's, that's, the, that's the Greek. Uwai is an onomatopoetic word where if you know what an onomatopoetic word is, it, it's a word that sounds exactly what it is. Woe. Uwai. It's an interjection expressing a cry of intense displeasure or horror. In other words, I am going to be completely miserable if I don't preach. I don't know if we know anything about that. I'm not saying we all have the same calling of Paul or the same gifts of Paul, but there should be a sense in, in all of us where how terrible it would be if we did not preach the gospel. Ooh, C.H. Spurgeon put it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or he is an imposter. Did you catch that? Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Last week I, I gave you a number of reasons why. Perhaps believers don't evangelize. I, I just kind of brainstormed that and gave you a, a number of bullet points. Well, I came back around this past week and thought about it, and I, I was able to summarize everything I said there and more, thought about it a bit more, uh, under five eyes. Let me just give those to you as I, I kind of put them together. First of all, maybe the reason that you don't evangelize or Christians don't evangelize is just pure ignorance. And I get that. Uh, you haven't been taught to evangelize. You don't even really know uh, the evangel. You may be in churches where they don't preach about sin or wrath or hell. And then you're, you're well, what are we being saved from? Not an excuse, but perhaps a reason. Ignorance. Or uh, it's, an, it's a matter of indifference, which I, I really struggle with that. If, if you are truly saved and you understand what you are saved from, you are saved from the wrath of God, you are saved from your sins, saved from hell, and understand that everybody else is in the same boat, you would make sure you pull somebody out uh, under the wrath of God uh, equally to you. So perhaps indifference. Maybe it's a matter, and, and I, I use the word imprisonment here because there's a fear of persecution. 
So some people just don't want to speak because, oh, look, there's a fear of man and they know that they perhaps will get arrested. Maybe they would get in prison. I, I get that. That's a real fear. We need to get over that, but that perhaps is a reason. Maybe it's just a matter of immaturity. Um, again, that might go along with the idea of ignorance. There's an immaturity in you. you. You just haven't grown, and as you grow, you speak. The convictions become stronger. But perhaps you don't speak is because uh, you haven't grown in your convictions, and you're a bit of in- immature. Perhaps there's just a, 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 we won't call this the fear of man, but just a, a fear altogether. And, and I'll use the word intimidation here. So not just ignorance, indifference, imprisonment, immaturity, but intimidation. Uh, Burke Davis is a Civil War, U.S. Civil War historian. And then he writes about a Confederate general by the name of Joseph Johnston. This is what he says about Joseph Johnston, and I'll make the point afterwards about it. Davis says, Though reputed to be a crack shot with a rifle when Johnston went hunting, he always complained that the bird flew too high or the dogs were too near. Always some excuse for not committing himself. He was too fussy, too hard to please, too cautious, too much afraid to miss and risk his fine reputation for a crack shot. While everyone else banged away, missing often and occasionally bagging a bird, Davis says, Johnston kept on with his excuses. excuses. He never did miss, but only because he never shot. End quote. Now I hear that. I, I think, well, that, that perhaps is the reason why some of us don't evangelize. We're, we're just intimidated. We're afraid. Too many of us are, are, are like this Joseph Johnston when it comes to a matter of evangelism and defending our faith to a world of sinners because we're, we're too afraid to make a mistake. We're so afraid of saying the wrong thing, so afraid of not getting it exactly right. I don't know if that resonates with some of you. And so in the end, we never fire a verbal shot in defense of the truth. Tim Trumper says this, a Christian who keeps their faith hidden and is his or her testimony a, quick, uh, a closely guarded secret is either holding on to a significant evidence of spiritual immaturity, is altogether spiritually immature, or has yet to come to anything more than an intellectual assent to Christ. By contrast, a believer filled with the spirit of the Son will inevitably come out of the shadows to own Christ verbally as well as practically. Allowing for different levels of giftedness and speaking of Christ, those who pray for opportunities to witness and who step forward courageously to take them are the ones who receive the wonderful joy of not only standing publicly with Christ, but of figuring in the counts of those coming to faith in Christ. And he concludes, apart from rejoicing in Christ over one's own salvation, there is nothing quite like being used of God in the salvation of others, end quote. And some of you can say amen to that. Some of you know that joy of leading someone to Christ. So that's the first point by way of review. 
the call to evangelism. All of us have a call to evangelism. Now let's move on to what we could call the core of evangelism or the content. What, what is the message of evangelism? This week, I, I went to my evangelism bookshelf and pulled out a number of, of books, and one in particular, which was a textbook for, uh, for me in seminary by J.I. Packer called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. I, I, I would encourage It's not a big book at all, but it's a very encouraging book. He says in it, as I reread it this week, he says, in a word, the evangelistic message is the gospel of Christ and him crucified. The message of man's sin and God's grace, of human guilt and divine forgiveness, of new birth and new life through the gift of the Holy Spirit. End quote. Now he's writing to Christians. We, we need to know what the gospel is before we turn around and give it, right? Now that's a mouthful, but he does break it down. Let me give you the four basic elements. Of the gospel. Again, we're talking about the message. He says, first, the gospel message is about God. Did you catch that? The gospel message is about God. You are God's messenger that says, thus speaketh, thus speaketh the Lord. And what you are speaking is a message from God and about God. You're appointing people to God at the beginning. This is why, can I say, this is why it's so important to get the doctrine of creation right. I mean, you go through the book of Acts, they're either, uh, they're either assuming the audience is Jews, so they, they have the scripture, they have the chapter and verse, and so they know creation, and so it's assumed. But as soon as the, the apostles go out into the marketplace and talk to the Gentiles, the, the first thing they tell them is what? Well, this unknown God, he's the one that what? He created everything. You start with God and you start with God as creator. Why is that? Well, it's because as only as we know of ourselves as the creatures of the living God that we can also know of what sin is and what the good news of salvation is. We need to know our relationship with our creator. So it's a message about God. It's a message about his attributes. It's a message about his standards. It's a message about his requirements for us. And secondly, then, the gospel message is about sin. Boys and girls, we, we've been learning in the catechism that there's original sin, that we're all born sinners, and then there's actual sin. The reason why we sin is because we're sinners. Original sin and actual sin, we're all sinners. That's very important in terms of the gospel message. The gospel message is about the good news, but you don't have the good news until you have what first? The bad news. What sin? Just so we're clear. And that's not the language that everybody uses these days. But sin, First John tells us, is lawlessness. It's breaking God's law. Trespass. It's another word. What is the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. In fact, in, in the next catechism question we're going to look at, we ask the question, well, we're all sinners by way of original sin and actual sin. But then the follow-up question to that is, well, what does every sin deserve? Boys and girls need to know this. What does every sin deserve? You need to know this. Sin deserves the anger and judgment of God. That's what the Bible teaches 
Which means that we're all guilty before God. So when we think about the, the content of evangelism, well, we need to announce who God is. We need to announce His standards of righteousness. We need to announce how holy and just He is. But we also need to announce how sinful man is. And that the, that wages of, of sin puts them under the wrath of God. And of course... Because of that, they need a Savior. And so the third point and the third element of the Gospels is a message about who? It's a message about Christ. This is the message of Hebrews that we've been studying, right? I mean, they're Christians, but they're, they're kind of apathetic and different, you might say. They're moving back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews has to lay out for them, well, there's no salvation in Judaism, or, or whatever religion you came from. There's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Muhammad. There's no salvation in, in Mary. There's only salvation in one. Because there's only one that has taken their own blood and entered into the very presence of God and presented his own blood as a what? Well, some of the language or the, the metaphors we've been learning. As a, meta, as, a, as a forerunner, right? As a mediator, as a pioneer, all that language of the Hebrews is tell us that there's, there's salvation in only one. First John tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. doesn't mean he saves the whole world. It just means if you want saving, he's the only one to look to. So when you tell them about who God is and you tell them about who you are and you, you let them know that there is a separation between them and God and that separation means that there's enmity, that there is no peace and no heaven. And you need to point him to Christ. But after you point him to Christ, and here's the fourth thing, you need to summon them to what? You're just not dumping a bunch of information on them. They need to do something with it. They need to what? John the Baptist came preaching, repent and believe. Jesus picked it up and said the kingdom is among you, what? Repent and believe. That's what the apostles preached. That's the message. Repent and believe. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust that He died in your place. And turn from your sins. This is why, can I just throw this in? I, I, I know this is not the practical side of evangelism. You would have heard that yesterday and maybe we'll talk more about the practical side. This is... This is the foundational level of evangelism. I mean, we're going to do God's business, God's way. We better know what he has to say about it. And thus, this is very theological. This is very doctrinal. And this is why theology is very important. I think one of the reasons why there's so much bad evangelism out there is because there's so much bad theology out there. If you want good evangelism... God-honoring evangelism, doing God's business God's way, it has to be theological. It has to be doctrinal. Hence why we need to know who God is. If We have to know what sin is. And the doctrine of man, we have to know who Christ is. We have to know how someone gets saved. Repent and believe. What it means to be born again. J.I. Packer kind of wraps all of this up by saying this. If we regard our job not simply to present Christ, but actually to produce converts, to evangelize not only faithfully but also successfully, our approach to evangelism would become pragmatic and calculating. Did you catch that? Our job is not to make converts. That's God's job. 
our job is go and preach whether they what? Listen or not. He then says, techniques would become ends in themselves. But it is not right when we take it on us to do more than God has given us to do. It is not right when we regard ourselves as responsible for securing converts and look to our own enterprise and techniques to accomplish what only God can accomplish. To do that is to intrude ourselves into the office of the Holy Spirit, to exalt ourselves as the agents of the new birth. Thus, he says, only by letting our knowledge of God's sovereignty control the way in which we plan and pray and work in his service can we avoid becoming guilty of this fault, end quote. You plant somebody else waters, but who does all the, the growth? God does. I mean, you think of the parable of the sower. The, the, the farmer went out and did what? He just sowed the seed. He sowed the seed. It's God who prepares the soil, prepares the heart. Some of it's on rocky ground. Some of it is on, on ground that then all of a sudden the weeds come up and choke on it. But some ground is fertile ground where it does produce fruit. But all the glory is to God, not you the sower. So that's our call. That's, that's our content to evangelism. Let's move to our, our third point here. And, and this is equally, equally is important. In fact, it, it, probably even more important to get this right. And that's the conduct of evangelism. The conduct of evangelism. And I've got three points under this, just to break it down a bit. Uh, through your presence, that's, that's the first sub-point, your prayers and your proclamation. Your presence, your prayers, and your proclamation. So first, let's think about your presence. What do I mean by your presence? Well, that's just your witness. You, you as a Christian are a witness. I don't know if you realize that. You're, in your salvation, he has then called you to testify of who God is and who Christ is and of his amazing grace. What did Jesus tell his disciples? You're going to be my what? You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and into Judea and into the ends of the earth. And here we are, the ends of the earth. And we are here to be God's witness. And so when we talk about your presence, we're talking about your witness. Or, or simply said, your life. Your life is a witness. The greatest apologetic for the Christian life is a transformed life. You got that? I mean, did any of us roll out of bed one day and say, hey, I think I'll follow Christ today? No, some, something happened inside, didn't it? Something inside happened. There, there, there was that guilt, that conviction of sin and a, a, a need of a Savior. And we cried out to God. And as we cried out to God, all of a sudden, what? There was a, there was a cleansing. There was a new heart with new desires and a new song. Behold, all things are new. All things have passed away. We're new creatures. How did that happen? You go to some AA meeting and that happened? You watch some YouTube video or go to some seminar? No, no, that's all the work of the Spirit of God. But the work of the Spirit of God with the gospel of God that has impacted your life. 
And none of us are perfect. And there's that law of sin on us and we do the things that we don't want to do and don't do the things that we should do and we get that dead man hanging on our back till we're glorified. But the Christian wants to get that rid of the dead man. We want to be sanctified. And again, this is all part of that. And you could say the howl of evangelism. I mean, you think of Matthew 5.16. You don't have to turn there, but you remember what Jesus says there. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's he saying there? Your, your light is what? Your light is your good works. We live in a very dark world today, don't we? And men full of, to put it nicely, bad works, but we can call them a, a whole bunch of other things. But as Christians, we've been saved for what? Good works. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 2.10? What do you say in Titus? Be zealous for good works. This is Christians. We are to be zealous for good works. That's our presence. That's our witness. That's our light. And we're to shine before men. We're so shine before men that they can see them. I mean, you, you might be sitting there saying, you know, Todd, uh, uh, those little categories that you mentioned earlier, I'm in the ignorant. I'm in the ignorant category. I, I don't know a whole lot. I haven't memorized any scriptures. I'm not sure how to go up to somebody and evangelize. I can't articulate the gospel fully. Okay, fair enough. We can teach you. We can teach you. But for now, your job, which I know you can do, is just adorn the gospel. Adorn the gospel. Adorn the gospel with your life, with your presence. Begin to preach the gospel with your life. Now, eventually you will have to speak, but just for now, just shine. Shine with your life. And like I said, you will stand out. You know, one of the things I, I've mentioned over the years, and uh, I'm not the only one that's seen this, but when you read the New Testament letters, have you ever noticed they don't, they hardly say anything about evangelism? Now, you know they're evangelizing because people are being added to the church, but the main emphasis of, let's say, Peter and Paul, just to name two that have written the bulk of the, of the letters, is it's all about what? Righteous behavior. Holy living. Unity in the church. Why? Because nobody's going to believe their message unless they have their act together. I mean, the assumption is, I think it's the right assumption, that when you live as Christ demands of you, full obedience to his gospel, evangelism will just be an overflow or a natural overflow. You're not going to need somebody to get up here and exhort you to evangelize. Get your, get your act together. Get your life together. You're walking with Christ and walking in the power of the Spirit of God. You're, you are going to automatically evangelize. Or, at very least, you are going to shine and they are going to see that and they're going to come to you, whether you go to them, and they're going to ask for what? What's going on with you? And you tell them about the hope that lies within, right? You see this pattern in the Old Testament. 
especially in Isaiah, and I won't take time to, to, to walk you through it, but just let me tell you. You, you, you see in Isaiah where, where God basically says, I'm going to bless Israel, I'm going to bless Israel, and bless Israel. And in blessing Israel, they become what? A light to the Gentiles. But when they disobey, and there isn't that blessing, the gospel then goes to the Gentiles, and it provokes Israel, what? To jealousy. The emphasis is on character. The emphasis is on conduct. Your presence. Listen, when a church is pursuing holiness and overflowing with love and service to one another, I guarantee you it will be an automatic attraction to the world. People will be saying, what's going on with you and what's going on with that place? Because it's out of this world. Where else in the world are you going to find people with genuine agape love for one another and unity? With a transformed life where there's honesty. I mean, hypocrites run around everywhere. Lord willing, you won't find them in the church. I mean, everybody asks, well, what's the power in evangelism? You know, you had John Wimber a number of years ago called, you know, power evangelism. And it was, well, we need to get out there and do signs and wonders. That's how, how people, how we attract people to Christ and how we get converts. Is, you know, like the apostles, the signs and wonders. Well, not today. What attracts people, what gets people attention, what testifies to the message is a transformed life. Holiness to God, love for one another. Turn in your Bible to Philippians 2. Let me just show you something that Paul says on this. In Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why is that? Well, here it is. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. In other words, you'll you'll prove yourselves to be holy, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as what? As lights in the world. How, How simple is that? Just don't grumble. Don't complain. I mean, how many of us grumble and complain? Do we have anything to grumble about? No. Do we have anything to complain about? No. The Lord is my shepherd. I I lack nothing. There's nothing to complain about. I shall not want. I mean, we're content, right? But I tell you, who does complain? When I worked for the bank all those years ago before I went into ministry... uh, that lunchroom was just a room full of grumbling and complaining. I, I couldn't eat there anymore. As soon as you walk in there and everybody has, opens up their lunch, it's, you know, she rattles off all the complaints, he rattles off all the grumbling. I mean, it's like sport to them. And you understand that. Grumbling and complaining about everything and anything, even the weather. And people forget who controls the weather, Right? They're discontent. That's why they grumble and complain. 
And they're discontent because they're crooked and perverse. So this is, this is simple, guys. Here's the point. An act of obedience, just simply as not grumbling or complaining, will make you shine. How about that? How about that as a strategy of evangelism? Don't grumble. Don't complain. Preach the gospel with your presence. Someone said this, others will see your redeemer through your redeemed life. Let's move on to a second thought under this point of conduct of evangelism. Uh, we, we mentioned presence. We could say a lot more about that, but I think you get the point. Secondly, your prayers. Your prayers. Is there someone you know who doesn't know Jesus Christ? Where do you begin with? Sure, you, you want to go and speak to them. You do want to warn them. You do want to give them the gospel. What, what is alongside that? You, you do what? Why do you pray? Because our theology tells us what? Salvation is from the Lord. Unless the Lord opens their heart. You pray. I don't know if you opened up uh, and read the prayer bulletin for this week. Right at the top in the red, uh, I, I put up a different quote every week, but this week's quote was from C.H. Spurgeon that said, We must never cease to pray for our children until they cease to breathe. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives. How often do you pray for your children? How often do you speak to your children? That's your primary mission field. Do you let your light shine upon them with your good works, but you also pray for them? Romans 10.1, remember what Paul said there? He said, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that's his fellow Jews, is for their salvation. He knows that's where it begins. He said, I'd rather be a curse so that they can have salvation. If that's what it takes. I mean, he says that in Romans 10. And, you know, he's walked the Romans road all the way from Romans 1 to 9. And then and in that, you know, he's explaining the sinfulness of the gospel. He's talking about the sovereignty of God. And, and once you understand the sin, uh, sinfulness of man and the sovereignty of God, the, the upshot of it all is what? I, I've got to pray. I have to pray. The only way my son or my daughter or my co-worker is going to be safe when their eyes are open they're going to turn from darkness to light away from the power uh, of, of Satan have the forgiveness of sins is if God does what? He saves them but God, right? This is something all of us can do, yeah. You might, might get on a plane and go overseas. You may not go out on the streets. You can pray, yes. One commentator said it this way, many of us cannot reach the mission fields on our feet, but we can reach them on our knees. End quote. It's our prayers. So our presence, our prayers, but, but ultimately our preaching. Yes, your life. Yes, your prayers. But you still need to speak. I think it's Francis of Assisi, or at least it's been attributed to him, who once said, "Preach the gospel, and if you have to use, um, if you have to use words, preach the gospel, and if you have to use words." And and look, that's a nice sentiment. 
Because what he's saying is, make sure you live the gospel. Preach it with your life. But nobody gets saved by just watching your life. Faith comes from what? Hearing. So, you know, giving him or whoever said it the benefit of the doubt, they were highlighting, as I said, the, the importance of a transformed life and, the, and the, as credibility to the gospel. But in the end, you do have to use words. Listen, your presence and your prayers, very, very important, but that's not enough. And if you tell me, I don't have the gift of evangelism, I'm not good talking with people, so I'll just live the Christian life before them. I mean, if that's your approach, you're going to have to live the Christian life better than Jesus or Paul, right? Because they both not only lived the life, they also spoke to sinners about salvation. Faith, mark it, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, you may not go, and Lord willing, they may come. As I said, if you live the life that you're called to live, you're going to stand out. You're going to be light. People are going to notice, and they're going to come, and they're going to ask for what? The hope that lies within, and you've got to be ready to give that defense. At the end of the day, evangelism is speaking. It is opening your mouth and saying, thus saith the Lord. Faith comes from hearing. Remember the Apostle Paul? Luke, Luke records a couple times as he is with Paul that as Paul went into a different town, uh, Luke says it was his custom, as it was Paul's custom. And what was Paul's custom? Paul's custom was to first go into the local synagogue. Why? Because gospel comes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And he, being a Jew, and we know his love for the Jews, that the, he wanted them to be converted, he just rushes into the synagogue. And a number of times it says that Paul reasoned with them. The Greek word there is dialogomai, which is where we get the word dialogue. Basically, he says, let's open up the scriptures. Let's, let's look at this text and that text. Let me tell you who the Christ is. His name is Jesus. He does the same thing when he's outside. It starts with creation, as I mentioned earlier. But then he moves from creation to Jesus and judgment. He preached. Whether he was in the synagogue or where he was outside, he preached. He spoke. And so this is, this is the, the, the conduct of evangelism here. It has to include speaking. It has to include proclaiming the gospel. You live, you pray, you speak. That's your job. That's your presence, your prayers, and your preaching. And by the way, just as a footnote, as someone said, witness to people with your life and your message will be more clearly understood. What is, that? What is he saying there? He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. I think sometimes we don't share our faith as we should because we know that salvation is, is a work of God that makes us holy. To him. He's called us to be holy. And he, he, we know as Christians we're supposed to pursue godliness. And many of us, I, I don't think, share because we're going to be hypocrites. 
Because we're living unholy, ungodly lives. Get your life together. Get, get your act together. Well, obviously there's so much more we could say about that as well as these other points. Uh, this was just a, 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 a to whet your appetite, as it were. Really a reminder. The call to evangelism, the core of evangelism, the conduct of evangelism, and really the response of all this is what? I just need to obey and do it. I mean, that's, that's how I see it. This is the evangelism and, and the believer. And if I have a call, and if I know the message, uh, and if I'm living what I'm, how I'm supposed to be living, then I just need to do it. Which makes me think that we need one more point. And I, and I came up with it this week. And I just will run through it really quickly. And that's what I call the competency of evangelism. The competency of evangelism. In other words, I look at what God's called me to do. I see the message. And I'm supposed to obey it and do it. And I want to do it. But where's the power coming from to do it? Where's the power? That's what I mean by the competency of evangelism. Who's, who's going to enable me? Where's the power of evangelism uh, coming from? Well, I, I just jotted down a, a few points. First of all, it's going to come from the message itself. There's the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, the message itself, as is, is God told Jeremiah, it's like a hammer. It's going to break. It breaks. It shatters. It broke your heart. It broke my heart. Remember that. That's encouraging. You speak. There's power in the word. Power is not in the messenger. The power is in the message. Secondly, remind yourself of the promises of Christ. Before he said to go in the Great Commission, he said what? All authority has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What does that tell you? Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're speaking for him. On the flip side or on the back side of that, after he told us to go, he says, lo, I will what? Be with you to the end of the ages. There's a promise there. So not just the power of the gospel, but the promise of Christ. And of course, he's with us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul, uh, John rather said in 1 John 4, 4? He says, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Remember what Paul told Timothy? 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of what? Power, love, and sound judgment. But I tell you where all the power is going to come from. And it's just a very practical point here. It's not just from the power of the gospel and the promises of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, all of that. But all of that will come when you, here's our fourth point, the pursuit of Christ himself. Over the years, I've said one of my favorite texts is Philippians 3.13, where Paul says, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, which is the top, the bottom, the front, the back of my existence, is I just pursue Christ. I press on. I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
I pursue Him. And it's in that pursuit is where you're going to find the power. It's in that pursuit where your life is going to be one of holiness and godliness. It's in that, it's in that pursuit you're going to know the message. It's in that pursuit that not just you're going to be an evangelist, but it's going to empower you for all aspects of, of ministry. Let me wrap it up this morning by reading Joseph Carroll and his quote from his book, How to Worship Jesus Christ. He says this, When Christ is central in the heart of the man, what does the man want to do? He wants to tell others about Jesus, and he will do so effectively. Let Jesus Christ be central in the heart of a man, and he is going to be burdened and troubled because millions have never heard of Christ. It is going to disturb him and bring him to action. What he needs is not more exhortation. He needs Christ. And the Christ within him who died for us will speak through him to that lost world. Without true passion for Christ, nothing works consistently. It loses its power. End quote. And I say amen to that. Pursue Christ. Father, that is our prayer. As we think about missions, as we think about local evangelism, as we just think about living our life as lights, it is all about pursuing Christ and our passion for Christ. And so we ask that you would revise us, revive us so uh, that there's a weaning from the world and all the things of the world. And there's a love of the Father in us that loves Christ, that looks to heaven, that also burdens us with people all around us to give them the good news, that same good news that we heard, that, that we believe, that we obey because of your divine grace. Use us in leading others. Bring more voices into the Hallelujah Choir. May we be found faithful. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.